0: Welcome to the FBCLB podcast, where you'll find the preaching of Dave Delaney, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Long Beach. Thanks for listening. Take your Bibles and let's go to Mark chapter number 14 this morning, the book of Mark in chapter 14. If you don't have your Bible with you, I hope that you do, but if you don't have it with you, There should be one perhaps in the back of the seat in front of you. Maybe in the back of the seat behind you, you'll find a copy of God's word. And I would encourage you to pick up that copy and follow along with us. And you're going to look across the top of that page for the word Mark. That's the book of the Bible that we are in, Mark. And you're going to look for a big number 14. Mark chapter 14 this morning and verse number 43. And if you found your place and if you're willing and able, would you stand with me? Out of respect for the reading of the word of God, Mark chapter 14. Verse number 43, and we're going to read down to verse number 53. Mark 14, 43 to 53. This is the story of Jesus in the final moments of his life. We read already this final prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane that Jesus has with the disciples. He's encouraged them to pray with him. They fall asleep. He encourages them to pray with him. He falls asleep again, does it again a third time. And then finally, we're seeing why Jesus is just saying to them, sleep on. Here we go. Verse number 43. And immediately while he... Okay, so look there. The he is Jesus. So immediately while Jesus yet spake. So while Jesus is saying the words... In verse number 42, rise up, let us go. He that betrayeth me is at hand. So while Jesus yet spake, there cometh Judas, one of the 12. He's a disciple, he's an apostle. He's someone who's traveled with Jesus for the last three and almost one half years. He's one of the 12. Don't miss that phrase. And with him, a great multitude with swords and staves from the chief priests and from the scribes and the elders. And he that betrayed him had given them a token. So Judas had told them, here is the sign. Here's how I will identify who Jesus is. He had given them this token saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, that same is he. Take him and lead him away safely. And as soon as he was come, he goeth straightway to him. As soon as Judas got into the garden, saw Peter, James, and John, saw Jesus, he straightway went to him. And he said, Master, Master, and he kissed him. And they laid their hands on him. They laid their hands on Jesus and they took Jesus. And one of them that stood by, so, so one of the disciples, Peter, James or John. Of course, we know from other accounts, this is Peter. And Peter that stood by drew his sword and smote the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Now look here, we're going to talk about Peter next week. But that is either... Very precise swinging of the sword to get only the ear. Or it's a terrible swing of the sword because he was aiming for the guy's head. You'll have to wait to get to heaven to find out what Peter was actually trying to do. I don't have an answer for you. And Jesus answered and he said unto them, Are ye come out as against a thief? with swords, with staves to take me. I was, I was daily with you in the temple teaching and you took me not, but the scriptures must be fulfilled. Look at this phrase, verse 50. And they all forsook him and fled. And there followed him a certain young man having a linen cloth about his naked body. And the young men laid hold on him. And he left the linen cloth and he fled from them naked. And they led Jesus away to the high priest. And with him were assembled all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes. You think you've been at some interesting prayer services I'm just assuming no prayer service you've ever been to ended with someone running around naked, someone having missed an ear, and Jesus having been kissed by one of the twelve, betrayed. Look what Jesus says in verse 48. It gives us much insight to the passage. Jesus says, verse 48, Are ye come out against Are are you come out as against a thief with swords and with staves to take me? I was daily with you in the temple teaching. You took me not, but the scriptures must be fulfilled. What you're seeing here is you're seeing the clash of two kingdoms the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of Christ. Judas is showing you and me the way in which the kingdom of this world works. How does it work? It works with power, it works with swords, it works with clubs. It works with pitchforks. That's the way the world works. Peter is the same philosophy. Jesus is showing us the way that his kingdom works. Why swords? You don't need swords. I was with you every day. You could have arrested me at any time. Jesus is literally saying to them, you do not understand me if this is how you're coming out to arrest me. You do not understand me. If this is the way in which you're coming to get me. What did they not understand? What did Judas miss? That's what we're going to see. What did Judas miss and why did he miss it? And what about for me and you? How do we miss the way in which God is at work in our lives, in our world, in our families, in our own hearts? How is God at work? What are the ways that God works? And how do we miss it? I don't want to miss it. How about you? How many of you say, Pastor, I don't want to miss the way God's working in my heart? Let's pay pay close attention to the life of Judas. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Use it in our lives. And in Jesus' name we pray. And all the church said together. Amen. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. This is the betrayal that Jesus had spoken of in verse number 10. You'll remember. They sat at meat together. They were observing that final Passover. And Jesus said in that moment, one of you will betray me. The one that dippeth with me, you will betray me. And all the disciples look around the table and all of them say the same thing. Is it me? Is it me? Is it me? What's interesting is in that whole entire event, no one took their finger, pointed it at Judas and said, it's him, he's the guy, he's clearly the guy that does it. No one even likes this guy, he's, he's shady, he's sinister looking, he, he, you know, he's always walking around looking like Darth Vader, it's gotta be that guy. No one did that for Judas. The disciples and Jesus go from that place, the, the Garden of Gethsemane, they have a time of prayer and now the moment in which Jesus had just a few hours earlier had prophesied of, is beginning to come into view. Judas is betraying Jesus. But what is happening here is more than Judas simply betraying Jesus. Judas himself is being betrayed. Judas himself, who thinks that what he is doing is going to bring about a messianic kingdom is in fact fulfilling. Notice verse number 49, the scriptures must be fulfilled. Isn't it interesting that when Jesus says to Judas, you do not understand, did did, did you miss it? Were you with me for so long and you still couldn't hear this message? Jesus was not saying, Judas, you missed it, now you're ruining it. Your your swords and your pitchforks, they're ruining it. No, 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 no. Jesus Jesus is saying to Judas, Judas, why do you think that swords and pitchforks can stop what God is doing? You cannot stop the plan of God, Judas. The scriptures must be fulfilled. Fulfilled. So how, how can we guard ourselves to ensure that we aren't guilty of the same? Well, let, let's look at Judas and just use him as an example. Let's use him as a mirror for our own lives. Three things about Judas. Notice number one, Judas had a covetous heart. Judas... Had a covetous heart. You you remember back in the early part of this chapter, chapter 14. Go back in this chapter to verse number 4, verse number 5. This was almost a month ago now we were preaching through this section of Mark 14. And I'm just going to remind you of it. Here's the story of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, dear friends of Jesus. Mary was overwhelmed with her love and adoration for Jesus that she takes this very costly bottle of perfume... The Bible says it's worth about a year's worth of salary and she opens it up. She breaks it rather and she pours it out on Jesus in a worship of him. The Bible says that one of the disciples, which of course we know is Judas, responds in this way. Look at verse 4 of Mark 14, verse 4. And there were some that had indignation within themselves and they said, why was this waste of ointment made? For it might have been sold for more than 300 pence, had been given to the poor, and they murmured against her. And G- Jesus says, we could have taken that, we could have sold it, and we could have given it to the poor. And doesn't that sound very noble at the initial reading of that? Doesn't that sound as if, wow, Judas, he has his act together, he's thinking of others. But, of course, you have to piece together the Gospels because the Gospels help us understand this, that John, in his Gospel, he writes this about Judas. In John chapter 12, he says that Judas said these words not because he cared for the poor, but because Judas was a thief. Judas says we could have sold that not because he cares for the poor. Listen, watch here. The, The reason he gave was not the intention of his heart. He's offering up some, some sad, pathetic, maybe even noble, honorable reason. We could help the poor. This is the reason he is offering up for the, for the, for the recommendation of selling the, the perfume, but, but that is actually not the intention of his heart. The intention of his heart is what? The intention of his heart is he is a thief. He's just simply looking to get more money. That's what he is. Judas, the Bible teaches us, was the treasurer of the disciples. And that whenever he would go out and he would buy something on behalf of Jesus or the disciples, the Bible says that he would pocket certain parts of the money. So, for example, he would go out and he would say, Something cost $35. But in fact, it really cost $20. And so he would take the remaining $15 and he would put it into his pocket. This is the, the pattern in which Jesus performed ministry with the apostles and with Jesus. He was in fact, look very closely. He was in fact, a lover of money. And he was a hypocrite of all hypocrites, why? Because he said one thing with his mouth. He offered one particular reason with his words, but he meant something altogether different in his heart. Listen here, you want a a good definition of hypocrisy? There it is. You say one reason with your mouth, you give one explanation with your words, but you mean something altogether different in your own heart. The intention of Judas's heart was only covetous all the day long. He was simply a lover of money. He was not a lover of the poor. He was not a lover of Jesus. He was not a lover of what was good or right. He was simply a lover of money. G- Judas had become skillful in this way. No one sus- suspected Judas. In fact, Peter says in Acts chapter number one, when he's preaching that great sermon there in Jerusalem, J- Peter says about Judas, he says, Judas had this ministry with us. Is that an interesting phrase? Judas had this ministry. With us. You know what that means? That means when you looked at all of the disciples, you would have seen Judas and you would have thought Judas is on team Jesus. He's teaching connection groups. He's singing in choir. He's an important person at the church. He has influence around him. He's serving in different capacities. He's on the staff. He's the pastor. He's performing miracles. He's a deacon. He's leading in these ways. And this is all who who Judas projected himself outward to be. But inside, the Bible says, he was a devil. That's hypocrisy. Saying one thing with your mouth, knowing in your heart you mean something completely different. I wonder how much this last week, the words of my mouth betrayed the condition of my heart. I wonder in your life this week, how many times the words of your mouth betrayed the condition of your heart. Said one thing with your mouth, but in your heart, you meant something altogether different. And Judas has a, a covetous heart. You see it here. It's tucked away in the text. Look, look back at the passage that we read. It's tucked away. Look at verse number 43. The Bible, it says it almost casually. It says, one of the 12. You see that? One of the 12. He was in Jesus' inner circle He had the behavior of a saint, but he had the heart of a devil. It it teaches us a couple of lessons, does it not? A few things, just write these down under this first point about a covetous heart. Understand this, position is not a substitute for personal decisions. Position is not a substitute for personal decisions. You can teach, you can sing, You can have a place of position in the church. You can be well spoken of. You can be honored. You can memorize verses. You can pride yourself in having Bible knowledge. You can know the names of all the people who sit around you. And you can still make decisions that bring dishonor and are in disobedience to the Lord. There's no amount of church membership, there's no amount of years of church membership that negates making the right decision in the moment. Three years of living in the presence of Christ. Think of this. Three years of living in the presence of Christ in Jesus' teachings, Jesus' miracle, Jesus himself Never captured Judas's heart. You know what captured Judas's heart? His love for money. Position is not a substitute for personal decisions. Position is not a substitute for personal decisions. You and I in our lives are, are accountable for the decisions that we make. The way in which we treat our wives, the way in which we treat our husbands, the way in which we treat our kids or our friends, the things in which we do, the attitudes in which we choose to possess, the words in which we choose to use, position is not a substitute for personal decisions. It do not outweigh them. Well, I can do this because I've I have this position. I can say this because I have this title. I can, I can make this choice because I've been a member here for this long. No, 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 no. Position is not a substitute for personal decisions. Your position does not grant you spiritual maturity simply because you hold a title or a position or an office or have a place, does not necessarily equal personal maturity. You can be a Christian for a long time and still be an immature Christian. You can be a church member for 30 years and as if the spiritual maturity you have is as a toddler. May that not be the case for you or for me, but... But the reality from the life of Judas is it could be the case. Notice this as a second thought here on this first one. As Judas had a covetous heart. Notice this sin progresses slowly. In other words, Judas's ultimate betrayal of Jesus did not occur suddenly. It wasn't just a, a spur of the moment decision. No, 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 Judas's ultimate betrayal of Jesus began years earlier when Judas decided to take 15 extra dollars out of the treasury and put it in his pocket. And Judas at that moment, I'm sure he thought, it's just $15, it's not that big of a deal. I can stop this whenever I want. I'll pay it back eventually. I've got some inheritance coming in. I'll I'll I'll, I'll, I'll rectify the account. I am in full. I know what I'm doing. Sin progresses slowly. And Judas made one decision to steal a few dollars here, to steal a few dollars there. To steal a few dollars a little later on. You know what that did? It made it easier for him to criticize Jesus' actions. It made it easier for him to justify his own personal decisions. It made it easier for him to betray Judas and give him over to the hands of his enemies. Don't you find this very interesting? Look at the verse. Look at verse 44. Don't you find this little phrase very, very interesting? He says, He's given him a token, "'Whomsoever I shall kiss the same as he, take him.'" Look at verse 44, the very end. "'And lead him away.'" And what's that word? What's the word, church? Safely. Well, now, just just put your... I know we haven't read the part of that story yet, but just just put your Bible-thinking cap on. When Jesus is arrested by the chief priests, the scribes, the Pharisees, when he's eventually handed over to the Romans, when he's eventually flogged and scourged and then crucified... How much of that was safely? How much of the blindfold and the punching in the face was safe? How much of the pulling the beard out of his chin was safe? It's interesting, isn't it? In Judas' mind, this is not where this was going to go. In Judas' mind, he was in full control. I believe, as others have commented on this, I believe Judas is trying to push Jesus into accepting a messiahship kingdom. I think he's trying to force Jesus' hand. I think he's trying to make Jesus rise up and push back against the Romans in this. Judas is understood as a Judaizer. This is the the language for their day that would be like an insurrectionist. He's trying to bring about a certain political agenda. And Jesus keeps saying, I'm going to die, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to rise... I'm not here to be king. They try to take Jesus. They force, they try to take him by force and make him a king. I'm not here to be a king. Let's retreat away. I'm here to suffer. I'm here to die. And I think Judas is getting tired of this. And he's trying to force Jesus' his hands. So he's gonna make the the, the, the the chief priests and the Sadducees are gonna make Jesus arrest Jesus to force Jesus to have to use his power to set up his kingdom. Lead him away safely. Sin. Sin progresses slowly. You you never just do sin and then move on. Sin always does you. You don't just commit sin and move on. Sin commits you. That's the lie of the devil. The lie of the devil is you can stop this whenever you want. You're in full control. This doesn't have a hold on you. That guy doesn't know what he's talking about. You don't have a problem with this. No, you never just do sin and move on. Sin always does you. It ties you up. It commits you. It holds you. Sin progresses slowly. Sinful acts gain momentum. And it makes it easier for us to embrace other, more heinous sins. Sins that we never thought we would have done. Except that when we committed that first sin, we did not repent. We did not turn it back to God. We did not confess. We did not ask for forgiveness from the Lord. And that sin becomes a stepping stone that leads us into other sins. You know this to be true. The world uses language like this. The world speaks of things like gateway drugs. What does this mean? It means it's just something that's just really small, really insignificant, not that big of a deal. You're in control. It won't get you like a God of the people. You're too smart. You're too spiritual. You go to church. Just this little thing, little gateway. You think you're in control of it. But in the end, What happens? In the end, it controls you. It takes everything from you. Sin progresses slowly. How, how did Judas get in this place? Judas got in that place because he had to covet his heart. Let me give you a second thought. Judas had a deceitful mind. Judas had a deceitful mind. So, so Judas here thinks that he is the betrayer. In fact, that's what he's known as in the Bible. He, he's known as the one who betrayed Christ. But the reality is, Judas was betrayed. One commentator writing on this says, Still as of old, man by himself is priced. For 30 pieces, Judas sold himself, not Christ. Judas sold himself, not Christ. You see, most of us think that we're, we're very rational people. We're in control kind of people. In fact, if you ask somebody, what do you go by? Do you go by your reasoning, by your intellect, by your knowledge? Or do you just go by your own desires, your own feelings? You know what most people think about themselves? Most people say, well, I go by my reason. I, I go by my intellect. I go by my knowledge. But the reality is that's not true for most of us, is it? We're people who go by our own feelings, our own desires. So if you desire something, let's say like physical gratification, if you desire this in your mind, that you desire this rather in your heart, then the mind is commissioned into finding a way. Arrange the circumstances of your life in a way that you can fulfill that desire. You can get what it is you think you want. And you can get it honorably or you can get it dishonorably. That you've heard people say things like this before, right? The heart wants what the heart wants. The heart wants what the heart wants. What did Judas's heart want? His heart was covetous. So now what does he do? Now his heart commissions his mind. Judas, find a way to make this happen. Whether honorably or dishonorably. By any means necessary, get what I want. And that's, that's exactly what happened for Judas. Look, look at the, the text. Look at chapter 14. Look at verse 18. Look at verse 18. And he sat, and, and as they sat and did eat, Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, one of you which eateth with me shall betray me. And they began to be sorrowful, to say one by one, Is it I? The other said, Is it I? In verse number 20, and he answered, it is one of the 12 that dippeth with me in the dish. It is one of the 12 that dippeth with me in the dish. You can read John's account of this in John chapter 12. Jesus says to John, to Judas at this point, Judas, go, what you must do, do quickly. What you must do, do quickly. He had a deceived mind. You remember in the life of Jesus, all through the Gospel of Mark, we've been told the the chief priests are looking for somebody to betray Jesus. They can't find anybody. Judas knows this. Mark chapter 11, the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might destroy him, how they might kill him. They looked for a way. Look here. They were looking for someone who could facilitate, who could commission this. Because they didn't want to arrest Jesus during the day. They wanted to arrest Jesus at nighttime, the twilight hours, sneak him away while no one was looking. And so they needed a friend of Jesus. They needed someone who could point Jesus out in the dark. And Judas, in his heart, he knew the chief priests are looking for someone to betray Jesus. Listen very closely. And so Judas volunteered for the job. Luke chapter 22 records it like this And Judas went off. He spoke with the chief priest and the officers of the temple about how he could betray Jesus to them. You know what he did? He offered help. A covetous heart, a deceived mind. Let's make a couple points of application here on this one. It's very possible. It's very possible to be just like Judas, but not actually belong to Jesus. Close to Jesus, yes, but not belong to Jesus. Judas heard Jesus when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Judas was there. Judas heard those words. Judas saw Jesus do the miracles. Judas saw Jesus, heard Jesus have a particular teaching or preaching. But Judas did not belong to Jesus. What does that mean? Well, Well, candidly, here's what it means. It means it's possible for you to sit in this church week after week, know about Jesus, but never have fully trusted Jesus. Some of you perhaps hear the gospel preached every week right here at First Baptist, every single Sunday. But you don't know Jesus personally. You don't know Him as your Lord and Savior. The Bible teaches very clearly unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless you know Jesus as your Savior. And unless God becomes your father, you cannot see the kingdom of God. There's no way to God, but through Jesus. And Judas is a living illustration that it's possible to be in a religious environment, but not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Judas also shows us something else about sin though. Not not only does it progress slowly, it's, it's covetous heart. It's a deceitful mind. Notice that sin deceives gradually. It deceives gradually. James 1 says that our sinful desires try to tempt us. They lure us. They drag us away. They entice us. Literally the word. It's It's an illustration from fishing. Anybody ever gone fishing before? Anybody ever gone fishing? Let's see. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Okay. You go, you go fishing, what do you, what do you put on the hook? You put some bait. You, you, you put something that the fish will like. Which, is, which has got to be an in and out hamburger. No, Everybody likes that. You take the hook, you put some bait on the end of it, something that the fish will like, and then you throw it out into the water. And you, you cover up the hook so the hook isn't seen. And what are you trying to do? You're trying to to tempt the fish to bite the bait so that what happens? So that he takes the hook so that you can put him on your grill and eat him for lunch. Sin does this, it never looks like the hook. Sin never looks like a hook. We justify it, things like, oh, I deserve this. They, they don't know how good they got it with me here. She doesn't know how lucky, I, how, how lucky she is. He doesn't know how lucky he is. They don't know how much I do. They don't know how important I am. Yes, that's, that's, that's prideful, arrogant language. There's a hook under that. There's a hook of bitterness under that. Which is looking to do nothing but sink into your heart and drag you away. Sin deceives. No one gets up one day and just goes, You know what, today, you know what I'd like to do? I'd like to just be bitter all day today. I'm just gonna be a bitter person. I'm gonna make bitter decisions. I'm gonna be mean and grumpy to everybody around me. That's the day I'm gonna have today. Nobody wakes up and thinks that. But we take a hook. We take the bait. Adrian Rogers on this point says, Lot would have never moved to Sodom had he not been enticed by the well-watered plains of Jordan. And David looked down from his balcony of his palace. He saw his neighbor's wife. He would have never chosen to commit adultery had he seen the consequences of his actions. And so it is the devil's bait keeps us from seeing the consequences of sin. Sin. Sin deceives. And Judas had a deceived mind. Judas had a covetous heart. Let me give you this last one. Judas, Judas had a strong will. Judas had a strong will. Look what he does. Verse 45, he goes straightway to Jesus. He walks right up to him. Can you believe the audacity here? Look here. Look, 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 look. Can you believe the audacity here? He doesn't point at Jesus. He could have simply just pointed at Jesus. He could have said, that's the guy. He could have have had the Roman soldiers grab all of them. There's there's a troop of soldiers there that day. It's not just two guards. It's not just two officers. There's a whole host of them. He could have had them grab all the guys, line them up, and I'll point them out to you. He could have done that. Imagine the audacity of Judas in this moment. He walks right up to Jesus. What does he do? Master. What an interesting phrase. Literally, the one greater than me. Someone greater than me. Remember, I told you about Judas' hypocritical heart, he's a meanness. You don't mean master. He says, master, master. And notice, and he kissed him. Kisses in their day were not used the same way kisses in our day are used. And I, for one, am thankful for that. Aren't you glad we don't just walk around kissing everybody? Well, some of you do, and you should stop that. But aren't you glad it's good enough in our culture that if you want to say hi to somebody, you can just shake their hand. That's good enough. We don't got to get any closer than this right here. And if it's somebody really special, then you can do like maybe a little side hug. But you don't have to show your respect or your love or your appreciation for somebody by putting your lips on their cheek. Aren't you thankful for that? The kisses in their day were a sign of respect a sign of love it's a it's a sign of appreciation the, the same use of the word master this is the kiss would have been right to follow it would have been master he kissed him on his right cheek and then it would have been master he kissed him on his left cheek they were not they were not guarding against social distancing at this point in the bible judas didn't have to kiss jesus but he did Adrian Rogers says Judas kisses the door to heaven and he goes straight to hell. Why why did Judas do this? He had a covetous heart. He had a deceived mind. He had a strong will. There was no repentance in Judas. Even after what Judas had done, the Bible says in Matthew chapter 27 that, that Judas didn't intend for Jesus to die. The Bible says that when Judas had saw what he had done, Judas went to the chief priests, the scribes, he felt remorse. He felt guilty, He felt shame for what he had done, and he took the money and he tried to give it back to the chief priest. The chief priests just laughed at him. They said, what are you doing? Giving us that money, he's dead. You're too late. You, you thought you were the betrayer? You got betrayed. You thought you were calling the shots? No, no, you weren't calling the shots. Sin was calling the shots. The Bible says that Judas, after that, went out and he hung himself. Judas, the Bible said, had purchased particular amounts of land. He had purchased that land by all implication with money that he had stole from the disciples. The Bible says he found a tree on the land that he had purchased with stolen money and he had hung himself there. At the time of the the writing of Matthew, it says the body hung there till it decayed. The tree rotted and he fell. And the body burst apart on the ground. Speaks of the dishonor. No no one no one went out to find him. No one tried to bury him. No one treated the body with dignity. Judas felt guilty. He felt regret. He felt shame. He felt remorse. Look here. But guilty feelings, shameful feelings, remorse and guilt, remorse and regret will not save you. I believe with all my heart, there's people in this room right here, you're living today with a guilty, remorseful, regretful feelings. You regret something you've done. You regret something you've said. You feel guilty over something you've, an attitude you have, an entertainment you're looking at, a word you used. Judas died, I'm certain of it, with a self-hatred. Some of you are living with a self-hatred. Hear me on this. You can hear me very closely. It wasn't Judas's betrayal that sent Judas into hell for all of eternity. It was Judas's refusal to accept the forgiveness of Jesus that sent Judas to hell for all of eternity. It was not Judas's betrayal. It was his refusal to accept forgiveness. We tend to think that there's some kind of amount of sin that will keep us from Jesus, but there's not. The Bible says God can and will forgive any sin. The Bible gives us a record of a, of a host of sinners of all types. Religious sinners, pagan sinners, murderers, adulterers, all kinds of vile people who found forgiveness. Now, God can and God will forgive any sin but only if we ask Him to do so. Unless we repent of our sin, unless we turn from it, unless we surrender our lives, reconciling them to the Lord Jesus Christ, and unless God, through His Spirit and His Word, restores us, we'll have the same Horrible condition that Judas lived with. And Judas was too strong willed. Look at me. Judas was too strong willed to find forgiveness. Maybe that's you. You're too strong willed to find forgiveness. Refusing to humble yourself, refusing to ask for forgiveness, refusing to claim the forgiveness that's being offered. The forgiveness being offered doesn't make our decision go away, can't undo what was done. But it does give us room to grow in the relationship that we have with God. It does give us room to grow in the relationship we have with others. Our refusal to accept forgiveness from somebody that we have hurt hinders the relationship that we have with them so that all we feel in this horizontal relationship is guilty, is remorse. All we have is self-hatred and self-pity and we never grow. No one's perfect, that's true. But there's a lot of us that, although we are not perfect, we are strong-willed. And we refuse. We refuse to humble. We refuse to repent. Let me give you four steps here on on knowing. I'm not, look look here, I'm I'm not just talking about this in a theoretical sense. I'm talking about knowing it in your life. Four steps to know the forgiveness of God. Write these down, four things. First, first repent. Repent. What does the word repent mean? Don't get scared about that word. Think oh, that's an old-fashioned word. No, the repentance literally means to turn. You're going this way, so guess what? Turn and go the other way. Stop going that way and go this way. Stop looking at those things and look at that thing. Stop talking with this language and do these things. Stop hanging out with that person and hang out with this person. Repent how do we how do we actually live in the forgiveness that's available first repent change change the direction of your words your attitude your choices what you do with your body what you do with your hands what you do with your eyes repent number 2 reconcile write that word down reconcile reconcile means okay i've turned But the choices that I had made, the things that I did do, they were were wrong towards someone. They were hurting someone. So I want to reconcile this relationship, which literally means I want to make it right. Reconcile means make it right. What does reconcile mean? Make it right. So here's the choice I was making I'm repenting, I'm going to turn. But that's not it. That's not enough. Now you've got to go, okay, I want to reconcile this. I hurt you with what I said. I hurt you with what I did. I hurt you with the, 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 the particular behavior. So I want to make this right, which sounds like this. Listen, that sounds like this. I'm sorry, please forgive me. When's the last time you used those words? Reconciliation begins with that. I'm sorry, please forgive me. I want to repent. I want to reconcile. Let me give you a third thought here. Write this down. Third thought, restore, 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 so reconcile is make it right, restore is pay it back, pay it back, if it can be paid back, pay it back, you took something from somebody, pay it back, now sometimes what was taken can't be paid back, and that's, that's understandable, pay it back, restore, fill it back up. That's literally the, the word, fill it back up. The, the psalmist in Psalm 51 says, restore, Lord, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. What's he say? Fill up the joy of my salvation again because sin had drained it out. Fill it back up, start being kind, start going out of your way, start being understanding, start being patient, start being loving. Restore. And last one. Last one. And maybe for you, the most important one. Receive. Receive. Receive it. The person says, you're right, you did hurt me, but I forgive you. Now you have to claim that. You have to hold that. You have to receive that. A lot of times what happens is somebody repents. I've seen it over and over. Somebody repents, somebody reconciles, somebody restores, but somebody never receives the forgiveness that was given. And now they're always acting bashful and and shame-faced. And now they're always just feeling like this. They don't quite know what to do or what to say. And guess what happens? They spiral right back into those same feelings of regret, those same feelings of remorse, that same self-pity, that same self-hatred. Judas's betrayal is not what sent Judas to hell. Judas's refusal to accept forgiveness from God is what sent Judas to hell. I don't want you to live in life of self-pity, self-frustration, self-hatred. I want you to be able to receive the forgiveness that's available through God. How do we do that? Repent, reconcile, restore, and what's the last one? What's the last one, church? What was the first one? What was the second one? What was the third one? And the last one? Our Heavenly Father, we pray that you would use your word in our lives.